This radio program is PG-13. Parents strongly caution some material may be inappropriate for children under the age of 13. Set me free of the chains holding me. Is anybody out there hearing me? Set me free. Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, Proclaim liberty to captives and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung. Hey, Mike Janung here and welcome back to Blazing Grace Radio. Glad to have you along for 2023 in a new year. And in case you're just listening in for the very first time, Maybe you're wondering, who is Blazing Grace? And before I'm going to go further, we are adding 1010 AM in Phoenix to our family of radio stations who are broadcasting. So welcome and looking forward to it. So who is Blazing Grace? We are a ministry to persons who struggle with porn addiction, sex addiction, adultery, any kind of sexual issues. We have Persons who come to us for help from ages 10 to 80 at every level of the church, from those of us who are in the pews every weekend to youth ministers, youth ministers, senior pastors come to us for help. We have a lot of wives. We put an equal emphasis on the wife's healing as we do on the man's healing, because if the wife does not heal, the marriage can still be lost. And in general, the wives are traumatized by what happens when she discovers her husband has been viewing pornography. And usually what happens is a man will, on average, get hooked on porn or first exposure around the age of eight. He doesn't tell anyone. He progresses through his teens, maybe in adulthood, gets married, still doesn't tell his wife. And then what we see is men come to us and they're... 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, even 80. And they've been addicted to pornography all their life. They've been destroying their life. Somewhere along the life, their wife caught them. And now their marriage is blown up and their family is upside down. And and now they're in for the fight for their life. So this is something that affects every single age group in the church. We have, I've written nine books. We offer groups and courses for men and wives. We have eight prayer meetings going on during the week, and these are no charge. So these are support and prayer groups, and and you can get help immediately at no cost. We offer counseling intensives, and I do counseling. I speak at churches, lead conferences and retreats. So we're in the fight on the front lines of this battle for the sexual purity and the holiness of the church. And we also have people coming to us for help from all over the world. And lately we're having more and more inquiries from India, South America, Africa. We hear from Africa quite a bit for help, from people for help. We have ministry partners in Europe and in the United Kingdom. So this is a worldwide problem and we have God has blessed us with ministry partners in some of these countries. So 
welcome. And I'll just share this before I get into my story. I was preparing for this show, and I stumbled on to Pornhub's statistics on Christmas porn usage. And this just I just saw this a couple days ago, and what they show is that on Christmas Eve, their views were down 32%. And Pornhub claims they get 150 million views from their website each day, which I don't even know how that can be. It just boggles my mind when I even think about it. And they claim to be the biggest porn website in the world. So Christmas Eve, porn views down 32%. That's a huge drop. Then Christmas Day, porn views were up 15% over their base. So that's a 47% switch. So what's happening there is that people are going to church Christmas Eve, and so they're not looking at porn on their phone or whatever. And then they come home, and then Christmas Day, they're even, they're looking at porn even more than usual, which is just crazy nuts after you've just spent the evening singing Silent Night, Holy Night. So that shows that a, there are a lot of people in bondage to this stuff. And I was one of them. So I was raised in a Christian home. And although we went to church, our family had plenty of problems. And there was abuse at different levels. And I, I heard about the gospel in an early age, but... um. One morning when I was 14 years old, my mom walked. I was homesick alone. My mom walked into my bedroom, and she molested me. And when that happened, my mind just snapped. I couldn't couldn't come to terms that this was reality, that this had just happened. And literally what happened was the memory of what happened was just tucked in the back recesses of my mind, and that was it. It was completely shut down for quite a few years. And then, uh, as I mentioned, our family had our its own sets of problems. I didn't hear the words, I love you, growing up. There were no hugs growing up. There were a lot of other issues. And so by the time I'm 14, 15, 16, I've internalized the idea, well, if this is what the Christian life is about, I don't want any part of that. So I threw myself all the way into the sex drugs and rock and roll lifestyle of the 70s and for me this meant this is when you had to go buy a magazine and I would go to a the 7-Eleven store across the street from my home and I would I didn't I had I was kind of bold and I went and bought them I was a teenager and the, and the guy who sold them to me he didn't care so I was binging on pornography and masturbation at least once a day often multiple times a day but you know, looking at pictures isn't satisfying, and eventually from there it went to promiscuity. I picked up gonorrhea from a one-night stand with a woman at a bar that I met. There was stripper bars that I went to, and basically I threw myself in everything. I had sex with prostitutes. As a single man, and the thing that I regret the most was having an affair with a married mother of three kids as a single man. So my life was a big mess, and this is on top of the drugs and the alcohol. I was doing 
cocaine and marijuana to a point. The marijuana made me paranoid, and I got sick of that. But the cocaine kept going for a while, and LSD and some of the other drugs that were big at the time. And and then um, alcohol. I remember one night um, going so far that I slept in my vomit and then woke up you know, in the morning with a horrible hangover, didn't go into work, and, and, and that was just... <laughs> It was horrible, but I didn't. I didn't understand what was going on. It was I was trying to find some level of comfort, or pleasure, or really at the end of it, love. But I didn't understand that. So by the time I'm 23 years old, I was a screwed up mess, chemically, spiritually, emotionally. I was angry all the time. I didn't know why. And now I'd have these bouts of depression. And then one day. <clears throat> I was actually living with a woman, and I felt this this pull to go to church. And yeah, I remember I had not been in church to church in years. So I figured, all right, what else I got to do? I wasn't exactly getting along with the woman that I was living with too great. And by the way, she had three kids and she was married. So I go to church, and the pastor is talking about the story of Abraham, and he talks about. Um, the point where Abraham calls God calls Abraham to leave his father's house, and the pastor says, "There are some of you here today who God is calling to leave the place where you're at, and you're in this place. Maybe it's of sin or whatever it is, but God's calling you out of that, and that just hit me like a big time ton of bricks. So that began a process of me." moving toward God for what had been, I don't know, been probably a good seven or eight years I'd walked away from him. And then I started going to church little by little and reading my Bible and praying. And eventually I moved out from the woman that I was living with. The hard thing is once you start having sex with someone, then you create a bond. And that bond becomes very difficult to tear apart. And and that kept us going for a while, but eventually, maybe a year or so later, we finally broke up, and and then I moved away from her and stopped dating girls who were not Christians, walked away from the drugs and the alcohol. I mean, to me, getting drunk and, and the hangover the next morning, just, it's, and the headaches and the throwing, just misery. So for me, it I didn't have a problem walking away from that. And the drugs, too. I remember doing so much coke one night that I had nosebleeds. And those crashes were just miserable. But I held on. didn't even really try to break free from the pornography because I figured, well, I'm doing it alone. I'm I'm not hurting anyone. So what, what difference does it make? And masturbation is a solo act. So then I met the woman that I was going to marry in 1988. Michelle, we got married in 1989, and prior to marriage, I'm thinking, wow, um, like most naive young men, I'm thinking, boy, once I can have morally acceptable sex in God's eyes, this is going to fix my whole lust problem, because I'm still binging while I'm dating her, but I'm thinking, well, you know, what's, what does it hurt? Then we get married, and then what I really didn't understand until a little while later is once you get married, everything comes out. Everything comes to the surface that we've been hiding or suppressing. And, you know, when we're always 
putting our best foot forward before marriage, well, that kind of takes the back seat and all the flaws and the faults and the coping mechanisms come out. And my coping mechanism had been pornography. So I think six months into my marriage, now I'm binging on porn once a day all over again. I just feel so horrible because she has this image of me as this great Christian guy and and I'm... I'm going deeper and deeper into the hole, but now I have the conviction of being married alongside of it, but I was in so deep that I just didn't know what to do. And then a year and a half into our marriage, I go on a business trip, end up in a hotel room in Ohio, and lust always leaves us emptier than before. And for me that night... Looking at pictures just wasn't enough anymore, and I called a prostitute into my room and had sex with her, and after that happened, I just felt horrible. I mean, I felt filthy, dirty, wretched, like I had this spiritual dirt all over me, and and then the look in her eyes was, was vacant. She wasn't all the way there. You know, a lot of those women... They're not sober when they're doing those things, and they're either on drugs or alcohol. So it was just a sick experience all the way through. And then I remember calling a buddy of mine and telling him because the last thing I wanted to do was tell my wife. And he said, you have to tell her because if you don't, you'll never have true intimacy in your marriage again. So I thought, oh, no. So I told her on the phone while I was still on that business trip, and I'll never forget her cries and her sobs. She just kept saying my name over and over again, Mike, 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 and crying, and it tore me apart. And then I realized for the first time in my life that I was in serious trouble of losing my marriage, but I, was, I had to do something to get help. I couldn't just sit there and wallow at it anymore. It was going to destroy my marriage. And then, so I started looking for help and went to a marriage conference with our church. And during a break, I I was terrified, but I approached the pastor who was leading the conference. And I remember approaching him and, and I was terrified and shame. And I walked up to him and I said, mumbled, I was uh, I had this problem. I have this problem with pornography, and as soon as the words out of his mouth, out of my mouth, his whole demeanor changed. He was smiling up to that point, and he got angry, and he really yelled, and he said, "You need to just stop doing it. Just stop." And I knew at that point I was in too deep. I couldn't just stop doing it because if all I needed to do was read the Bible and pray, and that was enough. I would have broken free of it a long time ago. So I walked away in discouragement, um, found the Yellow Pages. Back then, we used phone books. Found a 12-step group, essay, which is a secular 12-step group, and decided to give that a shot. I remember driving to that very first meeting. I had this terrified feeling like I'm going to be walking into the room with all these child molesters and guys who've been in jail and all these thoughts are running through my mind and I get the shock of my life when I get there when they're all Christians. One had been a senior pastor, one had been a music minister, 
they were they were men at every level of the church, and I'm scratching my head, thinking, "What, what's going on here?" Because I don't hear sex and porn talked about in church, so it must be me. I'm a freak here, or maybe this is a meeting of freaks. And but it was so refreshing to just be able to finally unload all that junk and tell my story and be accepted. And so I got a year and a half of abstinence being a part of that, and then I lost it and fell hard in a hotel room with porn and masturbation. And then I got three years of abstinence, and then I fell hard only this time. I didn't stand back up. This time I floundered for the next three, four years. So fast-forwarding eight years after I had decided to get help, it's 1999 now, and I've done everything man has told me to do. I've gone to church, read my Bible and prayed, gone to support groups. I've sponsored other men. I have served. I've helped. Read my, and done everything. I've been involved with ministry. Tons of money spent on counseling. And it got me nowhere. And I was empty and I was miserable. And I just cried out to God. And I just said, God, either you're the God who you say you are, who can change lives, or this whole church thing is a big joke. And immediately he showed me my heart. And I had always thought, well, I do some good works and, you know, do the things Christians are supposed to do, go to church and all that. But it was pitch black. There was just nothing good in there. And at that moment I just broke. And I made God my last and my only hope. It was This was it. I'd done everything else and it was either God or nothing at that point. So he starts putting all these verses in front of my face. A couple months later, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Seek the Lord in his face. Seek his strength continually. And seeking God's face is quite different from seeking his hand. Seeking his hand is what he can do for us. Seeking his face is, God, I want to know you. I want to rest with you. I want to be filled with you. And and then I realized for the first time in my life, I spent all these years going after women and less jobs and money and success and ministry success and trying to look good and Bible knowledge and all this stuff. And it got me nowhere. And And it was clear that God was saying to go after him. So that's what I did. I launched on this this adventure to seek God. I had no idea what I was doing. So, but I just, my mindset was, God, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to keep going hard after you until you reveal yourself to me. And then just two weeks into this, I'm alone, resting with him, reading through 1 John 4. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And I just got depressed. And I said, why is it, Lord, whenever I read about your grace and your love, I get depressed? And the Holy Spirit spoke immediately, and he said, because you don't believe it. And I realized that even though I had a ton of head knowledge, I had been a head Christian all my life. I, I was little better than being a Pharisee. I was an empty, clanging gong, and I, I knew about God's love, but I had not received it, which is to say I didn't really believe it was for me. 
then in that moment, there's this incredible burst of joy and peace and love that just flowed in my heart. It was just amazing. It was like, wow, this is this is this is it. This is what I've been after all these years going to church, all these years reading the Bible. This is alive. This is amazing. Oh my gosh. Wow, thank you, God. And I've not been the same since. And I still struggle with this stupid fallen flesh like everybody else. Still have weaknesses and still end up saying stupid things at times, often to loved ones that I have to apologize for. But but I have now something, I have him alive in me and powerful. And and it's wonderful. And so this was 2000 now. I got all this joy. And I, I figure I'd like to help a few people, but, you know, this whole porn thing, churches aren't talking about porn, so I figure I'm a freak and I start doing research and see the, the surveys showing that half of Christian men are viewing pornography and 20% of women, and I just freaked out. Like, half? How could it be half when we don't even talk about sex at church? When we don't talk about porn? How could it be half? You mean to tell me this, this sin almost destroyed my life? My marriage, my family, because I had one boy at that point, and I had a faith crisis, and it's half, and you, most pastors don't have the guts to even talk about that. I couldn't believe it. Fast forward to today. Now those numbers are in the 70s, 70%. I met with a local pastor a couple months ago for lunch, guy, a pastor, senior pastor of a thousand member church, and he told me that at his men's retreat, they had just had that 80% of the men at the men's retreat confessed to struggling with porn. 80, 80%, that's an eight zero. And you got to realize the guys at the men's retreat are going to be the least isolated. That means the numbers are, the real numbers are going to be even higher. How could be the numbers that high? And we're not challenging people in these areas and equipping people in these areas and Lives are being destroyed every single day. I watch the news, and every day there's somebody, usually in a leadership position in a church, who is arrested for child pornography or they're being exposed for some kind of sexual sin or adultery or they're stepping down, Sunday school teachers, youth ministers. So... Today, this this is a huge problem in the church, and it's not getting any better. And so, what, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with this? In First Corinthians chapter five, Paul confronted the Corinthian church over the sexual sin of just one man, and he gave the reason why we don't deal with sexual sin in our churches. And he and he. First off, just one man who was having sex with his father's wife, which, ugh, but um, one man. Can you think of what Paul would have done if he'd have came back today and 70-80% of the men in the church are viewing pornography and we're not even touching the topic? After he had done, got done tearing his robe, he said, hey, we got some business to do here. This is not acceptable. And but he gave the reason why we don't deal with sexual topics and sexual sin. He said, you are arrogant and you do not mourn. When is the last time you went to a church and saw anyone upstage 
mourning, crying, because so many lives are being destroyed from the tidal wave of sexual sin that is destroying so many lives. And unfortunately, a lot of guys are just suffering in silence. And this is not a man's only problem, not by a long shot. There are a lot of women who have this issue too. In fact, women are the fastest growing gender when it comes to viewing pornography and 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 their issues they also sexting is a big deal in youth. In youth you you can shoot the numbers up to ninety five percent of youth have been exposed to porn by the time they're eleven or twelve. Well what we see is most men get their first exposure at the age of eight. So moms and dads, if your kid is eight and you haven't had the sex talk, it is too late. Because nowadays kids are getting electronic Devices as early as age three, four, and five. So, my friends, let's take some action. You can. We have a from porn to grace conference. You can have me, which we can host. That's a where I can lead. That's a Saturday conference. Where we can hold it during the week. I can come and speak at your church. But if you're in bondage, please do not wait any longer. This is problem is not going to go away on its own. So thank you for joining me, and we'll see you next time. Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org. Email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call the office at 719-888-5144.